Jolly old Adam Myros. Ho, 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 buddy. I don't know if I should resent that or not. Uh, I, I'll i take it. I'll take A it. Beloved folklore figure. Uh, every child loves you. I, I think it's in your the jolly eye. bit. I mean, what does that really mean in the grand scheme? I think we all know uh, are, what are you you're trying to, to. Are you trying to manipulate my words into calling you a fat guy or something? Well, you know, you calls him like you sees him. Yeah, it's like what's what's that uh that fucking that tweet that everybody always screen caps and posts where it's just like oh you said you don't or you don't like or you like pancakes that means you don't like waffles or something like that and that's that's how people take things on Twitter so this is a real situation where I try to pay you a compliment uh, by calling you a, a beloved figure and then you immediately turn it into a fat guy thing. Well, I I'm. Maybe in a little uh, less of a jolly mood after uh, this slate of films. So, <laughs> come on, we've done worse. Uh, we <laughs> have usually, done worse. <laughs> that's usually something I can go to. That's the great thing about the podcast. You know, there's in a fact, couple we, of like we definitive will, low points. <laughs> <laughs> we we may do worse even in the very next episode here. So. Yeah, <laughs> it's what we're always aiming for. Uh, Jack, what did you ask for for Christmas? Was it for the uh, the bar to be lowered for you know? cinema that we cover on optimism vaccine oh no I, I you know like every morning i get up i say a prayer for united ireland uh that's that's all i ever want i want santa <laughs> just land down in, in northern ireland with a, a machete and do whatever needs doing you know so um and maybe someday who knows star trek predict was supposed to be this year per star trek i don't remember uh lost track that one didn't actually air in in ireland uh, at the time uh, i only learned about that later so censored by the queen I uh-huh. personally, you know, you know her and her Trekkie mannerisms, honestly. Mm-hmm. But uh, she's gone now. Star Trek outlives her, so that's it. You Take know, that, Lizzie. The last <laughs> obstacle to United Ireland. That's yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Everything else should fit together pretty easily. I'm pretty sure. You know, I was I was at a uh, a wedding in Ireland, and it was round about uh, four four thirty in the morning, and uh, the the party was still going pretty strong. And I was outside smoking a cigarette and I heard a bunch of people yelling and I was like, what the fuck is everybody yelling about? And uh, then I walk inside and uh, there was like just singing these, these songs and they were yelling, ooh, ah, up the rod. I was like, all right, this is, we've, we've transitioned from like, you know, pit bull remixes of, of dance tracks to uh, just, yeah, they IRA had a whole, jams. They had a whole discourse on that in Ireland because some people were singing that and all the all the, the 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 pearl clutching opinion writers had to, had to have a mm-hmm. debate about whether or not this was appropriate because I don't know if you heard but the the IRA actually killed some people, oh, and yeah. then some people point out that maybe the other side also killed some people, and maybe you know there's nuance mm-hmm. and balance, and it was all very boring. Um, yeah. But anyway, I'm glad I'm glad you had the experience. I don't think it I've ever been to a wedding where people have done that, but then I must hang out with just much more. Uh, you know, much more uh, correct, politically uh, nuanced folk, obviously. Mm. <laughs> Bunch of fucking Steve, northerners. Uh, <laughs> what, uh, I've, got, I've got a very important question about this wedding. What what entree did you pick? The potato dish or the potato dish? I, I will I will have you know that uh, it was a chicken or beef option on the on the yeah invitation. with potatoes. 
However, <laughs> there is not one, not two, but three different potato options available at you the table. Damn, well, you got mash, you got roast. What's your last one? Just boiled, baked? Or I, what yeah, it? It, was, it was like a boiled situation. I... I I was like, oh, is this like a turnip or something? I was like, no, it's just a different. Oh, that's potato. no, that's that's for that's for that <laughs> uncle in everyone's family. Just he just he doesn't need anything else. Just the boiled potato with the stick of butter. Good for yeah, him. That's that's Absolute all it was. Fucking backbone of the nation, right there. It was it was wonderful. And then the other thing I learned about the Irish on this trip was uh, a lot of them just like fancy themselves like amateur historians, and if you stop for two seconds, they will explain anything that's going on. So even the IRA stuff. Some woman who I had not even talked to for three seconds was just like, hello, American, let me explain to you what this is. And I was like, oh, that's cool. So <laughs> You see, yeah, and I feel like that's uh, like, well, I think to overthink that, I think that's like a neo-colonial sort of post-colonialist kind of a mindset. You know, Ireland's very conscious about that stuff. And, you know, it's always like kind of people want to fill in the gaps. And I think we could learn from America who just basically have no idea of their history or even if they do, don't think about it or dwell on it or talk about it and just go around just doing shit all the time and no one explains mm. anything. And honestly, I think it's kind of actually admirable at this point. You know, I mean, there was all 20 something year war and absolutely no reference to anything else on the back of it. Um, so, you know, we, we should we should learn that. I don't know what you're talking about, Jack. I learned my history. George Washington cut down a cherry tree. And, <laughs> I so I heard, yeah. Everything was yeah. great. And that fell on Geronimo or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it was uh -huh. it was a whole thing. Yeah. And listen, listen, that bitch couldn't even eat it because he had he had wooden teeth. A lot of people don't remember that about old George. Our only wooden, wooden teeth president. Can you imagine all the things that have happened in American history and one of the things that we learned, the few things that we learned, is the composition of George Washington's dentures. That was <laughs> yeah, everybody absolutely, knows that. I mean, that, that was considered his most relatable trait, which I don't know yeah. means he's, he's an absolutely <laughs> remarkable man or he just had really weird, like, pastimes. I don't know what mm. else he did. I know he had wooden teeth, though. Like, what yeah. did he do for a spare time to chill out? Like, can I, was the, did he do crosswords? Did he, I don't know, gardening? Well, you like cherries a lot, yeah. I guess. Cherries. powdered his wigs. I, I don't know, what do you, uh, you don't even do anything. when I mean, back then it's just like, oh, I live in a one-room house and I, like, write really weird, like, pseudo-romantic letters to all my friends and then I die when I'm 30. Like, that's all that happens. It's true. It seems like most of it was just speculating they were all gay. Like, that's all the, the discourse has come <laughs> yeah. from. And now is they all used to live together and everyone was, like, was a friendly gentleman. And it's like, were yeah. they all? Like, a lot of them, maybe? I don't I, know. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say, like, who was gay and who wasn't back then. I think everybody was just, like, a little bit gay. Like, they were just, <laughs> like... They were hyper masculine, but also like every every letter they wrote was just like, "Oh, my dearest, beloved, oldest friend, today I saw a canary across the way and thought of you." Because I, yeah, I don't know. There's just a lot of like positive male romantic longing, which may or may not be related to gay stuff, and, and who's to say? Hundred I mean, percent. There's nothing to fucking do. Of course, you're just gonna get down <laughs> to business, but yeah. yeah. That's what I'm just, thinking. There's nothing, there's to, nothing to do. Your mind. Suddenly, eventually, you're going to get that. There's yeah. nothing to do track. but be good friends with all of your, exactly. your male buddies. Yeah. Some buddies. Yeah, I mean, look at fucking Benjamin Franklin's like, oh, I'm going to tie a key to a kite and electrocute myself. What a stupid... <laughs> I, that's the thing. It's like you were either doing stuff that would have gotten you on, like, you know, 17th century jackass, 
or you fucking your buds. Like that's that's all it's, there is. It's a fair point. Like a hundred percent in a world post television, no one is tying a key to a kite to go out in a storm. That's <laughs> exactly. not happening. Not happening. <laughs> but they not needed happening. we needed the guy to do it so we could get television. So we don't do now. We just post videos of stuff online. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So well. I mean, speaking of Benjamin Franklin, uh, he's he's definitely a portly gentleman based on every uh, artist rendering I've ever seen of him. So, you know who else is a portly gentleman? It's Santa Claus. And oh, you know I thought you were going to say me again. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, I have not called you fat on this episode. <laughs> This is just, this is your own insecurities coming out. Uh, well, but Steve, I, I don't know what this segue is supposed to be doing, because the movie we're about to talk about doesn't have Santa Claus in it. Right, it does, but there's no fucking Santa Claus. But hey, we're watching Silent Night, Deadly Night 3, and, well, there is a Santa there's Claus. There's one at the but, beginning, but... <laughs> yeah, there's one at the beginning, and then, of course, we, we get a flashback, sort of. Because <laughs> the only thing consistent, as we've learned, in the Silent Night, Deadly Night series, is you gotta have a flashback. And and that's the only thing that connects any of these movies together. And I well, think we'll, by, we'll get rid of that sooner or later. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think they abandoned that by like part five. Uh but part four even I think is it's gone. Yeah, no, part four part four there's there's a yeah, they uh, see a you see three. Scene. Yeah, you see three playing on a television. It's just they're they're watching the movie. There's no flashback. No, it's just like incidental footage. So, but it, but it's another weird thing too because, like, there's flashbacks, but also in the universe of Silent Night, Deadly Night, the movie Silent Night, Deadly Night exists as a film, but also as like flashback footage. And also, Silent Night, Deadly Night three exists as a film. Two, yes. not so much, I guess. <laughs> no, because that would get too weird. Because how would you even show that? I don't. They show on the TV uh, Ricky watching Silent Night, Deadly Night 1 in the movie theater. Yeah. It's just like an endless inception. I just, uh, you know, as, as we've made our way through these, these movies, and obviously for anyone who has seen it, you know, Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 kind of goes off the rails. But there is a connection to the first movie. And by the time we get to 3, we are firmly swerving into a territory that I, I think is completely uncharted wherein we have a an ongoing series with five main entries wherein there is very little to connect any of them together so i i don't even know what this would be it would be like if the if the halloween series was halloween one halloween two and then halloween three halloween three halloween three <laughs> That's yeah. they're all just like I mean, totally basically, it did, it did what Halloween couldn't do. You know, the audience they rejected Halloween's bold vision, but Silent Night Deadly Night they they went there, they did it, mm-hmm. they succeeded. Mm-hmm. I thought this was going to be more of a Halloween uh, connection here, in that this actress uh, Samantha Scully, our lead, the blind woman Laura. <laughs> is basically not an actress. She's not in like anything really, except she's also credited in four. So I, I kind of thought it was going to do like a Halloween four and five type thing where it was like, ah, oh, well, this is the next chapter. Uh, well, we're going to be following this character now. And it's like, no, 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 no. To be Instead, fair, it goes it's... the Hellraiser route almost. Yeah. I mean, they don't have a pinhead to tie it together. It's just Santa Claus. Silent Night, Deadly Night 3 goes the Halloween route in that it is incredibly similar to Halloween. It involves a guy escaping from an insane asylum, fixating on a woman, 
a doctor and a policeman driving around searching for him. There, There's quite a lot of uh, hookups there between plot-wise. And even, I feel like in Silent Night, Deadly Night 1 or 2, with the, with the nun showing up, also felt like a Donald, Donald Pleasance kind of stand-in. And the specter of, of Halloween looms large over the Silent Night, Deadly Night franchise, which, you know, I guess is probably unavoidable. But, well, uh, it's kind of interesting considering I think the first one owes a lot more to like the Friday the Thirteenth series than it does Halloween, even though it's it's holiday themed, I suppose. But uh, yeah, most certainly you are correct. This movie is essentially shitty Halloween, except it's like you say to yourself, "What would really improve like Michael Myers as a character? What if he had a a glass dome that showed his brain?" <laughs> I fucking love this. Yeah, he looks like uh, what's what's that like like C tier DC villain? I think he's just called like Brain or something. Brainiac right? like that, or something? Is there not, one of those? Brainiac is one, but there, I think there's a guy that's literally just called Brain, and that's yeah, what he looks yeah. Like. This is correct. Yeah, he's like a, a psychic or something like that. Oh yeah, well, there you go. You do that with your brain. Some real fucking nerd shit here. This is like this is this is Colin territory. It, he's gonna be editing this and be like, he can he can add in his own audio later. Just Colin notes. Yeah, Colin notes. He's like, uh, actually, uh, he uh, was he debuted in uh, uh, issue twenty nine of Doom Patrol. No, Colin doesn't talk like that. He's he's a good person. <laughs> Thank you for editing yeah. our podcast. The, the spectacular uh, <laughs> thing, the spectacular thing about this movie, Adam, you've already said it's like shitty Halloween. Um, this movie is, I think, by many many objective measures, a shitty movie. Uh, it's not like it's it's a terrible horror movie. It's not a thriller. It's not thrilling in the slightest. Is it a comedy? They kind of seem to talk about it in retrospect as being funnier than you think, but it's not really mm. a ha ha funny. It's a very weird film, and I, mean, I suppose at this point it's worth pointing out this was directed by Monty Hellman. Uh, and that's the secret sauce that right. makes it what it is, because I think Monty Hellman kind of he, he invented a subgenre here. This is the world's absolutely first did. sleepy slasher. That's what we're calling <laughs> it. Yeah, no, 100 percent. And this seems to be so I, I've learned the reason why like Monty Hellman is not he did make some horror movies with like Corman, Roger Corman back in the day when he was really kind of getting set up. But, you know, he's certainly by no means a horror director and he would have like Tulane Blacktop, obviously, is like one of those key films of the new American cinema and really kind of forged his reputation, particularly overseas as like, a you know, an independent art house kind of figure. Um, he apparently took this job as a favor for the producer, the, produ yeah, the producer who apparently asked him while he had a flu and he was under the, the symptoms of a flu. And he just was like, yeah, I'll direct your Silent Night, Deadly Night sequel. Huh. Uh, but he but he took it to heart. It, by all accounts, it seems like like Hellman really was heavily involved in this film. Um, and he, he his main goal with it or his his main thing was like. There was a there was a script written and it was I think a direct sequel to part two and Hellman as hated as it can get yeah yeah <laughs> who knows so so and I mean this one is linked technically weirdly enough although they have flashbacks from Silent Night Deadly Night one the villain is from two pulled over but it's Bill <laughs> Moseley playing why. no if idea they were gonna make one of the brothers comatose why didn't they just make it Billy and not Ricky? <laughs> Doesn't doesn't make any goddamn sense, and it's a different yeah. actor. They hired an actor this time, Bill Mosley. I mean, like a real a real actual oh, yeah, actor. Yeah. Yeah. So so they have they finally have an actor in the role. So what do they have him do? Speak one single word. The entire That's it. Film. It's beautiful. But, so so the, the the setup here is 
that there was a script that kind of followed on and Monty Hellman, by all accounts, hated it. He just didn't like the script, but he said he was going to do the movie. And apparently this movie was magicked out of nothing in three months. They were like, wow. that's it. from start to finish, like from them, like starting the script to having a finished product. Like apparently they picked up this premiered, I think at some like film festival in Europe or like some sales thing in Europe. I don't know what exactly. They apparently picked up the print and like fresh. Do you think that like Bill Mosley was kind of typecast after Texas Chainsaw 2 is like a guy who just is menacing like a and problem. has a, a head problem? Yeah. But I was Could thinking. be. I don't know. This is such a strange thing. Like, I don't know what the fuck Bill Mosley was at this time. You know, I mean, obviously he's like an icon now and not that he's not making like a fucking thousand terrible movies a year, but, uh, but he's still got like a certain cachet and you know, you watch something like devil's rejects and you're like, Oh, this guy is magnetic. You know, he, he can do some shit. And mm -hmm. I don't know what the fuck his reputation was at this point in time, though, I guess maybe he was just a fucking warm body they could throw out yeah. there and be like, from the mines behind Texas Chainsaw Massacres. Yeah, but apparently mostly took this very seriously as an acting role. But as I was saying, like, like Hellman magic this film out of nowhere. He rewrote it. His daughter did script polishing and stuff, and they just kind of put it all together. He took it very seriously as a project, but I don't know what this film is, because as we said, it's not really a horror movie, it's not really a suspenseful or anything, it's like a weird kind of snoozy soap opera kind of a mm -hmm. setup. Bill Mosley apparently embraced the, the, the wordless role and he like he worked a lot on his physicality, but it's, it's a very odd film. It doesn't really lean into even the stylistic choices of having a psychic connection between the killer and, and the, the main and protagonist. Very, yeah. very it weird is film. Weird. It, it is, is very, I, there's like, way too much going on too because it's like okay. Uh, well, first of all, Eric Freeman apparently was too busy with uh, all the acting roles that have been flooding in. So we get Bill Mosley, and he is <laughs> a brain exposed comatose killer with a psychic connection to a psychic blind girl because she can't just be psychic or blind; she has to be both. Uh, not very good at being blind either. I, maybe, maybe I wasn't paying close enough attention, but did it take anyone else a little bit of time to figure out that she couldn't see shit? Cause I didn't catch the blindness. Quite You're, at yeah. I mean, the, uh, this is the weird thing about this movie, I guess, is that Samantha Scully, again, she's barely acted in anything. It's literally like this and some movie no. uh, that like no a, one on like earth a, has ever seen. Like that looks like porn. Uh, she but, looks like a Heather Langenkamp like stunt double or something. That's that's the well. It kind of reminded it. me, especially because this movie has so many fucking Twin Peaks actors yeah. in it. That this it, it reminded me of like watching like Cool as Ice and being like, boy, that girl must have been like second on the fucking call list and just missed out mm -hmm. on being uh, in in Twin Peaks. And I could say the same for her. I mean, she's not a strong actress, but she has a screen presence, and it, it's just like. I kind of feel bad for her in this role because there is things she pulls off quite well. And then there's a whole bunch of other shit that they're asking her to do. That is not in her, her toolbox. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she kind of gets hung out to dry a lot in this movie. And uh, yeah, it's unfortunate, but that's, that's kind of the, the whole thing with this movie is there is 
a lot of great character work in it. Like I like spending time with it. It's a nice kind of hangout movie. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's, it's got right. a lot of weirdos and a lot of like fun dialogue. And then the, the end result is, is kind of nothing. Like it's just like, and then we cut to Bill Mosley slowly shuffling down a <laughs> fucking country road every 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a weird road movie. Also. I mean, it, it has that effect. It is a lot of people kind of getting like driving around. It just uh, happens that one of them is a serial killer. And then they all end up at grandma's house, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is again, like, like that fairy tale in. kind of element. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's wild, too, because, I mean, you think it's going to go in one direction. Like, you have all these, like, it starts with this bizarre dream sequence uh, with creepy Bill Mosley and psychic blind lady. And then from there, it, it turns into this, like, road movie because she's with her brother. And I, and I love the brother character, another odd casting choice, because you just look at this guy and he, in any other movie, in any other role, he looks exactly like like the shitty bully character, you know? <laughs> but actually, he's this very sensitive, thoughtful man. And then he's got this, this girlfriend with him, and I, I don't know exactly what her character is supposed to be, other than, like, she's vaguely ethnic, and there's lots of allusions to her enjoying sucking dick, and that's about it. Uh, but she seems nice. And, and then she from seems there, shockingly like, nice. Like she's set yeah. up to be like this almost antagonistic character to the lead. She doesn't want her dating her brother. And she's like, mm-hmm. she's the most chill fucking character. Everything yeah, she no, says no, no, that's, is like kind of smart and kind. And I'm like, what yeah. is this movie? Every single character is just like, oh, she's just the bimbo dick suck girlfriend. And it's like, no, no, she's actually lovely. And then, you know, again, the guy, you think he's going to be a bully. It's like, no, he's very thoughtful and, and he's smart. And then the girl, like our protagonist, who, you, oh, she's, she's blind and she's got psychic powers. And, you know, you think, okay, well, this, she's going to be the one that we really root for. And you're like, ah, she's kind of a dick. <laughs> you know, like, it's, it's very odd. It's just, and none of these are necessarily bad choices. No. Uh, Monty Hellman is just, every single choice he makes is wholly unorthodox. And this is not now, it, it sounds like we're saying, okay, this is a good, it is not by any stretch of the imagination, a good, a good movie, I don't think, but it, it, it sure is something. You haven't seen this before. I tell you that <laughs> this much. Is, it's a fucking mood. That's what it is. It's not yeah. a good movie, but it's a mood, man. It's a uh, yeah. big it, fucking it, mood. It comes down to the score too. Like the, it's got this weird fucking electronic score. It, it's just something about it. I was, I was jiving with the thing. It's, it's bad. It's horribly paced. Like abominably paced, but yeah. uh, it is. I don't know. There's something about it. It's just kind of. That's my my takeaway. Slides over you. <laughs> my takeaway too, because I I last I I discovered I watched this almost to the day ten years ago for the first time. Um, so apparently this is a tradition I have every decade. I watch Silent Night, <laughs> Dead Night Three, so I better better keep that one up. Um, and yeah, watching it again more recently, it's like. I don't think it's a better film, but I, I do value what it is a lot more. Like, it's I am much more inclined to appreciate it's the way it just kind of takes the genre and kind of turns it upside down and shakes it, and everything kind of lands all over the place, but it's it's peculiar and strange and, and kind of in and of itself interesting. But, like, certainly there's no shocks here. There, there's, the violence is very sedate, generally speaking, for a slasher yeah. movie. Uh, it's it's... It doesn't do anything the way you would expect it to. 
And yeah, uh, like the big finale kill is it, it. I I don't know if you guys have seen this. I've only seen it because of watching sporting events and being bombarded with commercials. But there's a Coke commercial airing this Christmas, a holiday Coke commercial, wherein some man is is making a a nice Christmas pie, and there's his his grandmother standing over him, guiding his hand the whole way. And it turns out when he serves the pie to the dinner table, grandma is dead. She he's preserving her memory through this recipe. That's the magic of the holidays, and that is the end of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's something. Yeah. And like I say, it seems like um Monty Hellman is on record saying this is he considered this his maybe his best work. Now not his best film. I think he drew a distinction there. Uh maybe not his best movie, but he was very proud of having pulled this film together. And um it it's it's something. It it sure is nothing like not, and, and it's interesting because it hooks into so many things that are were happening in horror. Because so, this came out around, I think, the same time as like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and a few others that had like um, like dream sequence elements, you know, and, you know, dream warriors, all that stuff. Psychic links. They did that in like one of the Friday the 13th movies as well. Um, you know, it, it's like hooked into a lot of these things that were kind of happening a lot in horror. Just generally, and but but it behaves completely different. Like like Hellman is just clearly utterly uninterested in any of that shit. He doesn't he mm-hmm. doesn't care. Uh, he's doing his own thing for no money, uh, and it's it's really distinctive and strange. And then metatextually, like Adam has mentioned, I mean we've got three uh, major David Lynch characters here. Um, the brother is what is is Eric Deray, I think is the name from Twin Peaks. Yeah, Leo. Leo. Uh, right. We have uh, Richard Bamer, I think, is the doctor who is, of course, um, the ben hotel Horn. owner. Yes, yes, that's right. Ben Horn. And then we have Laura Haring, who is uh, from Mulholland Drive. The Naomi Watts is Paramore. Um, very, you know, and, and all, you know, it's it's just kind of strange to find them all in this because honestly, this. It, predates Twin Peaks. I'm pretty sure it came out before it. Uh, certainly the same year, mm-hmm. 89. Uh, and it, it's kind of hooked into the same thing. It's like there's a lot of things here that are familiar, but it is, it's not like those things at all. Um, yeah. I can yeah, see that, and, that overlap. And again, Samantha Scully looks like she would be in Twin Peaks. Like she has that exact look. Uh, it has, it, it, it's not like intentionally doing a Twin Peaks thing, but it somehow vibes at that similar sort of wavelength. It, it it absolutely does. And a lot of it is just like the bizarre clashing tones because you have this essentially kind of rote slasher, but I don't know the choices here. Some of them are just so fascinating. Like Richard Bamer's a doctor is he's not operating in this movie. He's in something else entirely. Like he there's this scene where he's like, he takes his glasses off dramatically like four times in a single scene. It's just like, and then you've got Mosley with his, his glass brain pan. It's like those characters are existing in this fucking 1950s sci-fi film. And it it's an interesting mashup of, of eras and styles. And I, there's just, there's a lot to like here. I, uh, but again, let me, I can't stress it enough. Uh, don't go in expecting this to work because it really, it, it doesn't, no. <laughs> but, but there's <laughs> stuff you'll though, appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to appreciate. And 
I think it's funny too, because I mean, I haven't seen all of Hellman's work. I mean, God, he's got a pretty dense filmography, but uh, if you look at the definitive Monty Hellman movies, you know, the things that, that in the eyes of most critics sort of define his style, there's the aforementioned uh, Tulane Blacktop, which is like a wholly unorthodox, like, you know, drag racing road movie uh, that was, you know, tangentially related to movies that were popular at the time of its release, but wholly original. And then his other big one was The Shooter, which again, on a surface level is a Western, but it's like this big fucking like allegory for, I don't know, the JFK assassination. And it's really like kind of plotting and meditative. And, and then there's Silent Night, Deadly Night 3, which kind of slots in nicely with those two. So uh, this might be a definitive Monty Hellman film, but it's also kind of a pile of shit. So I, I mean, the wall, the wall thing I learned uh, from this, uh, from there's a Vestron has just released this movie in a set three, four, and five Silent Night, Deadly Night in one Blu-ray set, and uh, frankly, I think it's great value for the price you can get it at right now for three pretty disparate weird movies. And there's a great audio commentary on three, um, and it's by. Let me see if I can think of his name, because I'm not familiar with the guy. He's he's an Australian uh, from Jared Gahan, who um, goes through a whole... He does this great audio commentary where he, like, runs through the history of Christmas horror movies, and then he starts talking about the production behind this, because this was kind of like... The Silent Night, Deadly Night series apparently came partially about from, like, uh, uh, some... I, I'm forgetting the names of all of them now. It's, like, live entertainment. But they basically... It was, like, a small distribution company that decided they wanted to get into production so they could, like, wholly own the, the assets they were distributing so they get way better payouts if, you know, something was really successful. And it seems like Silent Night, Deadly Night was was one of the first uh, franchises they acquired. And then somewhere down the line, the, the guy who was, like, pioneering all this uh, got murdered, and that was the Menendez Brothers case, which was, like, that huge scandalous murder case that ran for years. Uh, so, you know... Um, Kind of weird history here, uh, but but he does mention uh, in his audio commentary something I'd never heard before, which is that Monty Hellman was a uh, directed second unit for RoboCop, which what? I had <laughs> no idea was the case. And apparently he goes uncredited and apparently he had to go uncredited because Paul Verhoeven was not in the DGA when he directed it. What? And so they couldn't have a DGA member credited as second unit over a guy who wasn't in the guild. So he had to go uh, uncredited or some something to that effect. I don't know the ins and outs, but apparently that's that's the thing he did. I had no idea Hellman was attached to that film at all. So knock that one down as another key Hellman product just because. Mm -hmm. Good trivia to stump your friends. That's a fun one. Yeah. Holy shit. Well, good job, honey. Hellman. Just getting involved in things that I love, like Silent Night, Deadly Night 3. Uh, <laughs> what what is going on with the production company? This got me looking at production companies, and th this movie is credited as uh, as quiet films, <laughs> as opposed to <laughs> and this is the only uh, film released under the label Quiet Films, as opposed to the next film we'll talk about, which was uh, released under the production company Silent Films, mm. uh, <laughs> and, or perhaps the the film after that one which was released under the production company still silent <laughs> well each production like a lot of movies have their own production company right just to like write off losses or tax or whatever like i i because these I movies this, are trying to write off 
taxes? Are you well, kidding me? Well, I'm just me, saying, Jack? just in that case. That's absurd, right? <laughs> I'm just saying, most movies are like an independent production. They're treated like a, an LLC or whatever, they, you know, so, so they can just keep everything contained within the one production. But I think this one went up the line with, um, I'm trying to think what, because I think ultimately it links into Vestron, what, you know, the company that became Vestron, which then folded and then I think was bought by Lionsgate and is now is back again, but as a retro video line. But um, yeah, it, it, this was kind of like, I think there was there was an opportunity here like that they just realized they could capitalize on the somewhat notoriety, particularly of part one. And just, you know, the video era was booming and just, uh, you know, gets get get some movies for half nothing and, and get like, do you know, you get Monty Hellman on here. Uh, that's that's a pretty big name. You know, people people will, will, will check that out. You know, some people will. Europeans, they were saying we're, we're checking the movie out and like kind of going like, oh, yeah, it's very good. It's very interesting. It's artistic, uh, which it, it is. But, you know, <laughs> I think if you didn't know Monty Hellman was directing, you probably can just say like this dude just doesn't know what a fucking slasher is. He's he's glowing reviews <laughs> and careers <laughs> du cinema. <laughs> yeah, 100 percent. Like this is this is absolutely if any Silent Night Deadly Night movie would get a write up in Cahiers du Cinema, it would it would be three. Maybe it did. I should. We should check. <laughs> we should Google that shit. <laughs> Link to that review in the pod description if you can find it. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. Um, I I think if you enjoy the first two Silent Night Deadly Night movies, you might as well keep going at least for a little bit. Um, I, this this is <laughs> it's worth a watch. Byron, I feel Byron, like if you enjoy <laughs> fucking Twin Peaks, to maybe give this a watch. If you're coming in yeah. off the Silent Night Deadly Night series, you might be pissed off watching. Sure, yeah, I, I yeah, think I think true. you, you can flip it and say if you don't like slashers, then don't let that dislike put you off watching this movie because it isn't. Yeah, one. The, so this is Silent Night Deadly Night Firewalk with me. <laughs> <laughs> something like it's uh, it's god yeah. it's such a strange film and it's like yeah it feels like it builds a lot of different things and it just it doesn't quite build out all of them but there's also just this space there it's very like empty sparse film and i think it's not it's not just the budget it just sort of like is disinterested like it just feels at any moment like the cameraman might just go down and, like find someone walking in another direction to the main character and just follow them instead that just seems like the movie <laughs> Oh, as we transition, yeah. by the way, we should probably mention that th this film is, uh, it's, it's set in like fucking Ventura County. Uh, we, we are officially not in winter ever again in the Silent Night Deadly Night. <laughs> no, no, no more snow will be seen here, uh, except in flashbacks. Oh, uh, yeah, there's, there's no snow and very little Christmas from here on out. It's just not... <laughs> It's not a crucial point of the uh, Christmas-themed horror yeah, series. Why is Ricky's comatose body in California? I, I couldn't fucking tell you, but here it is. Couldn't tell you. <laughs> here it is, yeah. From, from Utah to California. Why not? Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, if you really don't like the Christmas elements of Silent Night, Deadly Night... Uh, I've got a movie for you. <laughs> have I got a movie for you? Yeah. You're like, what if what if this Christmas franchise had less Christmas and more slimy bugs? Well, yeah, it's uh, it's called Silent Night, Deadly Night for initiation, uh, which is about like. I don't I don't this is like a Gwyneth Paltrow, like fucking feminist death cult. <laughs> 
about, I think yeah, this is where I get off, guys. I was like, issues of women. <laughs> I was with you for three movies. These are pretty fun. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I fucking hate. Oh this. man, I love I love a little Brian yeah, now. Come on, this is great. He's like what he, he's like. What if a fucking Yanni egg, you know, hatched into a a murderous slug? <laughs> I just imagine. I, I guess that the great prank by Yuzna here is that. Imagine renting this fucking movie. Oh, Silent Night, Deadly Night 4. And then fucking watching this dreck. This is, it is officially like, I mean, everyone's like, oh, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. It's like compared to the later films of the Silent Night, Deadly franchise, it, it absolutely is. It has more claim to it than they do. Um, yeah. to, to be fair, Yuzna has expressed uh, has expressed uh, some regret in com- almost completely excising Christmas from this film. He just wasn't interested <laughs> in that apparently at the time. So apparently, the script for this one and it does it does involve like a, a feminist or feminine uh, Wiccan commune coven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is that I how don't they say it over in Ireland, Jack? Sure. Yeah, yeah. That's what they say. I don't know. I, I bear no responsibility. I'm just going off of what's in this movie. So, uh, you know, a cult, a coven, and uh, and it all gets wrapped up and there's bug effects. There's weird bug effects because Brian Hudson, as anyone who's familiar with his work, hangs out a lot with Screaming Mad George, the, the surrealistic Japanese special effects guy. And so he wanted mm-hmm. to make a bunch of bugs. But apparently the script for this is actually what originally was the script that was rejected by Monty Hellman, I believe, or or to some oh. degree it was. That... that Part three was originally supposed to be about a, a, co- a coven and witches. All that, I have no idea how it fits together. Uh, but Brian Yuzna took the job, and apparently Yuzna took the job because, and at this point he was already well established with like a society and bride reanimator and so on. Um, he took this job, he said, apparently because it was offered to him, and it was like he'd never been offered like an up and running project before as a director. He always like he was the producer mostly of everything. He had to build it himself, and so it was like suddenly, so someone said like, "Hey, do you want to just make this movie? It's already like we've got all the pieces together." And so he's like, "Oh, that's actually really cool. I'll give that a go." So he did, and he came in, and he immediately started changing the script, and uh, he wasn't that interested in doing, um, like doing christmas stuff he was interested in bugs so um the thing just it, it good changed. thing he took the job on silent night deadly night four <laughs> motherfucker look they offered it they got the usen effect like, you have nothing else this is a brian usen film full-hearted and and you know it's all the things i enjoy about most of his films and that it like it has a couple of like peculiar ideas in it in this case it's got i was like a, a wiccan cult it's got a bunch of like spiral imagery and bugs, like a metamorphosis kind of like very obvious, you know, Kafka reference thing. And, uh, you know, but but it's it's got all these elements that are like somewhat interesting and, and kind of like suggest some degree of study. And then the rest of the movie is just absolute nonsense. Like there's no, there's no yeah. fleshing out of any of that. Like I, I, every use in a film is like uh, just a bit smart at the start and then it gets less smart. It's not, you know, it gets down into goop. And I, I kind of honestly, I love why I don't much like used uh, as a filmmaker. <laughs> I, I like him as a producer, but uh, I feel like when he's well, got you too know, much creative control, it tends to get real hairy. 
He does, you know, and it's weird though, like Bride Reanimator I think is actually is shockingly good. It's probably his best film. Well, no, because Return of the Living Dead 3 is great as well. He, he, he works. This is not like top tier. This is like mid tier kind of like, okay, this, you know, if you're in for it for, for the ride, it's pretty entertaining. And it's, it's, but I, you know, to my point, it was funny. I listened to the audio commentary for this uh, with Brian Yusna himself and he kind of like opens it up just like at the very start. It's like the, the moderator's asking about and he's like you know yeah you know there's lots of spirals in the movie early on it's like the spiral is feminist well feminine and i don't know and that, and that kind of sums up yuzna's research on this he, he like clearly cracked a book got like three ideas from it sat down with screaming mad george to see what kind of weird goopy effects he could cook up and then they just made the movie and the movie has mm-hmm. nothing whatsoever to do with the previous films uh ricky's back but it's clint howard it's not the same guy at all but he's still called ricky is it but eddie is he ricky is he ricky from the other movies he can't can't be it doesn't make any sense i don't think i don't think so because another guy named ricky yeah no i think i think he has a different surname to the previous rickies so so i'm pretty sure he's just just a guy named ricky it's just so they could put on the vhs box ricky and people would go oh a guy from deadly night two and three like like what's super funny is like you know the the casting for the first two solenites particularly is like they got just the biggest dude they could find and then like if you're gonna swap them out for clint howard it's a very peculiar like from two guys who just look like they could like walk out on a football field to like ron howard's squirrely brother is especially very- considering his role in the film is sort of to be a physical enforcer it's like this is bad casting what have we done? <laughs> it's so good clint <laughs> howard is never bad casting he just he sells it He's with just his been- face that's the selling point for this movie. Like, uh, you just break it down into bullet points. Okay, we got Brian Usna. Love it. We've got uh, effects by Screaming Mad George. Great. We're going to get some slimy practical effects, some buggy shit. That's cool. And then you got Clint Howard just being hunchy and menacing. Wonderful. Wonderful. Love that. You know what this is? It's a great date movie. You ever, you ever meet a girl who's probably, like, never fucking used a vacuum before and She's got a, a grimy apartment and she spends all of her extra money on like custom tarot card decks. You could take her on a date and you could watch this movie and I bet she'd like it. So there you go. That's I my ringing she, endorsement. No one would like this. I, this may be I like this. You, you know, don't this know may enough, be, you don't know enough goth girls, man. This this is a movie that features a, a scene where a woman just answers the door for a friend with a shirt covered in fucking vomit. <laughs> It's this fucking disgusting vomit coated shirt. And she's like, oh, how's it going? It's just like a vaguely feminist film. Vaguely. And it's like and that's what I think is great about this. It's like it's about a woman and her struggle to find herself. Uh, that also involves, yes, a lot of vomiting and uh, bugs and crawling out of her mouth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's I mean, it makes it it's they don't have to sell it too hard to this protagonist, I don't think, because like the man in her life or any men in her life really are, are kind of shit. And their whole thing is just like, hey, like it's Rosemary's baby, but you should be cool with it. And why not kill some men? Because men are shit. She's like, ah, oh, they kind of are shit. They are. And then the women all turn out to suck as well. I mean, it's really it's mm-hmm. like, you know, you're on your own girlfriend. Uh, you know, it's that's that's basically the movie. Um, yeah. 
It's, it's, it's just incredible. it's vile stuff. That's it's, it may be, you may say it's incredible. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say not so much. Like I, I'm I'm all for get your goopy bugs crawling out of mouths and blah blah blah. It's it's the little things that get to be, I guess, like a vomit covered shirt walking around the house, or uh, you know, just like the general filth around her house, and and the actual cockroaches just kind of chilling out because she can't be bothered to do her dishes. Or uh, yeah, it's not yeah. clear is that is that a vision at the start, or does she just live in absolute squalor? Well, she does as... have spray at hand, so I yeah, I'm going to assume she's just uh, a filthy person. Because I'm not sure if you live with a roach infestation, you still shouldn't just, like, when you turn the lights out, find 50 of them in your sink. Like, I think they're supposed yeah. to, like, run a bit. If they're that uh-huh. comfortable, you don't live in the house anymore. They do. And if, if one of them is, like, five feet long, that's probably not good either. <laughs> right, yeah. It's, yeah, you know, I really, like, I really enjoy, I gotta say, I do enjoy Yosna's films because they've got, like, really... Like, he, he is always, you know, shooting for the stars, which is his special effects. And then you get these great sequences, like you're trying to hunt down the giant cockroach in the room. And, you know, they don't have the bugs, or they don't have the special effects to make, like, an animated bug that, like, can move. So everything's just, like, so just knocking a table over or shunting, <laughs> like, bumping something around, like, you know, like if something big ran over it. It's, like, it's this great mixture of, you know... He's got enough money to, like, pour in on some really wacky kind of prosthetics and effects here and there. And some of them are really impressive. There's one where a huge bug crawls out of the main character's mouth. And I'm not sure how they did it because it doesn't look like a prosthetic head. But it also doesn't look like something you could fit in someone's mouth. I, it's a very peculiar thing. There's some really interesting things. And then there's also a bunch of shit that's like... You know, that that every kid who ever, you know, started making movies at home would do because they have nothing, you know, to like try and simulate, you know, there's something behind the sofa. We absolutely can't show it to you, but we can like show a table moving because it was, mm. you know, it's it's, you know, I just think it's kind of fun and it's it's full of like bizarre yeah. things. And then, you know, you've got stuff like Maud Adams shows up. She apparently was like the 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 ten pole star, which, you know, probably gives you a sense of how uh, how big this film was aiming for. I mean, it's Bond girl. X2 Maud Adams. Uh we've got Reggie Bannister, I think is his name, from uh from Phantasm, everyone's favorite mm-hmm. guitarist drum and ice cream man. Uh he d- I don't really recall seeing him outside of Phantasm much. Um, you know, there's some there's some fun little bits and pieces, and then it's just kind of like like I say, it's it's a, a vaguely f- kind of feminist story that also has weird undertones because Brian Yosen apparently hated Christmas so much he decided to make the main character Jewish. Which is an interesting decision in a Christmas movie, but then also tricky because she's just like tearing down like all these barriers and things. It's just kind of a strange thing. It feels adversarial that the lead character is Jewish on some occasions in this movie. It, it's just a little bit uncomfortable that she is ultimately associated with the with a coven and and dark magics. But anyway, I'm pretty sure Yuzna did not intend it that way. I'm pretty sure he just wasn't thinking about it because he was probably too busy looking at something the special effects guy was doing going, that's fucking cool. Let's do more of that. Because I think ultimately sure. at a certain point it's just more goop, I'm pretty sure is is the the setup. There is one great scene in this as well where where we have weirdly of all people, Clint Howard again, uh, like which is a home invasion scene where he comes in and murders her boyfriend and it's like a strangely kind of straightforward almost even more so almost than like the original two films in terms of like a home invasion kind of a sequence it's not at all strange or weird like the rest of the movie um so you know it, it, there's 
there's some stuff in here. I don't, you know, I, I, yeah. I enjoy this. I wouldn't oh, say it's shit. great, certainly. I would, but... I, I would say it's the opposite of great, frankly. I mean, there are things what you're describing sounds fun. And that's my <laughs> thing with Brian Yuzna is, is it's like, this sounds fun. I can watch a scene of this and be like, oh, that's great. It, it, when you put it all together, it, it it seldom works for me. And especially here for, for, for what we're describing is kind of a, a fun goop filled film. It does have so much just like nastiness to it that I, that does not fit for me at all. Which, which again, we've we've described Myros. some things, but we've also we also should describe that at some stage they they take the protagonist and like strip her down topless and gag her, and then strap a big dick to Clint Howard's head, and uh, he goes in and, and doesn't use the head dick. He uses yeah. his actual dick and rapes her, and then her arms turn to spaghetti, and she shoots a. a fire out of her hand penis into the witch <laughs> right again you're describing myros, a movie everyone wants to see yeah, yeah. exactly myros <laughs> i think you need to channel a little bit of yonic energy into your life right now you need to get in touch with your feminine side and uh you know ladies all the ladies listening right now how many of my ladies out there uh would love to see ron howard's weird brother in a penis mask a mask that is also a penis how great is that? It's like anyone. a scene just like cut out of like Hostel or something and thrown into the third act of this fucking goofy ass movie. It's just, it's so fucking weird. Get it I out of here. Yeah. I bet Myers, you must be so happy that uh, Yosna hangs around for the next. You will be discussing him for the next episode too. Yeah, that's very exciting for you. It's got some, <laughs> it's got some Yosna problems, but at least it makes an effort to like participate in the exercise that was assigned, you know, as opposed to this fucking film. <laughs> Yeah, part five does have more Christmas, but you know. I gotta say, my my favorite making off story from this was Yuzna was saying that they went in, they found a house. Uh, I guess the actress's house where they stay or apartment where they staged certain things. Uh, they 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 had to they shot there, and they they found the house was like it was about to be bought, but they had moved in, so they were able to rent it from uh the property company and get in. And they shot all their footage. And then the, the there was people moving in and some real estate agent or something said that uh, they just filmed a like cannibal satanic cult movie there. And apparently the people who would want to buy the house were like devout Christians and they tried to back out of the deal. Um, and they eventually they were able to not to, to stop them backing out of the deal by the film company paying for an exorcism in the house. So they had to do an exorcism because of the, the cannibalism cult film. There's no cannibalism in the movie. This realtor just made some shit up. I guess he got excited. So they did all that. And then they had a look at the rushes, uh, the dailies, and they found out that through the equipment error, uh, all the footage they shot was out of focus and it couldn't be used. <laughs> so they had to go and ask if they could go back into the house that they had just done an exorcism for. And eventually, uh, Yuzna says they were able to convince them, I'm guessing by just handing them a wad of cash, however much cash would have been available for production of the scale and they went in and they shot it again and then the film company had to pay for a second exorcism so you know that's the the magic of hollywood uh, see here's the that's thing amazing. about silent night <laughs> deadly night 4 is if it were a Stuart gordon movie and not called silent night deadly night 4 it'd probably be good but uh unfortunately neither of those things are true i mean, always say Stuart gordon was was a different different man different character <laughs> entirely Oh, Lord. Well, <clears throat> I mean, I, I, I think that wraps up 
uh, every, everything that needs to be said about Silent Night, Deadly Night, parts three and four. And, uh, you know, are, are you a completionist? Are you a Usna head? Are you a real Monty Hellman fanatic? Uh, are you a masochist? Ask yourself these questions. Uh, do you get, do you got a, a date with your, with your goth girlfriend who doesn't vacuum? Depending on how you've responded to those questions, that'll kind of determine whether or not these are the movies for you. But uh, that being said, Myros, what are you putting over this week? Jesus Christ, I just got done writing you fucking 90 pages of madness. I haven't been watching anything. Plus, I'm a gamer bro now. Uh, so I thought what, being a gamer bro was going to be my brand this year. What the fuck? Well, I, yeah. I, I, if you didn't buy a 4090, Jack, you've been outclassed. I've got a much yeah. bigger gamer dick to swing around, you know. It's just, it's <laughs> Myros is just, he's flexing left and right. You got <laughs> oh, your man. big ass fucking gamer schlong that you're just fucking slapping us with. And then you just like, what What are you like adjusting your glasses and wearing a scarf indoors because you're Mr. Screenwriter now? Is that how it works? Yeah, it's all true. Uh, it's a real artful screenplay I've written. Uh, yeah, no, no. Um, but nonetheless... I, I guess I'll put over a game that I was playing uh, went to stop myself from like self-immolating uh, while writing this uh, business. Um, I played Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, a dumb game for, for children. And uh, let me tell you, a lot of fun. Uh, very shiny. Probably the best looking game I've played on the uh, the PlayStation there. I mean, I'm moving away from the PlayStation now that I've got a, a real gaming machine for for real gamer oh, men. Wow. Uh but uh you know are you going to are you going to play video games all the women banging on your door? Well they're mm-hmm. all going to come for a look at that 4090 baby. Uh but you know <laughs> in the meantime I I figured I'd put aside some childish things before I grew into gamer manhood and uh I played through that and uh it's a lot of fun, a nice little pretty easy breezy fun uh you know cartoon mascot platformer but uh if you want if you want to see some shiny visuals what your playstation is capable of uh, i recommend it give it a shot Mm. jack what are you putting over this week i'm i'm putting over a fucking work of art a serious serious capital c cinema work of art and that movie is on netflix you can watch it right now it is called Ega, and it is by S.S. Rajamuli, the man behind Or Or Or, and it is absolutely amazing. No hyperbole here. I was laughing my ass off for the whole thing. It's a movie about a man who is chasing after a girl, and she's she doesn't want she she's she pretends she's not interested in him, but she's actually she's really interested in him, and he finally gets through to her. Uh, and they're going to start dating, and then he gets murdered by a nasty property developer who has eyes on the same girl. But luckily, through the magic of reincarnation, he comes back, and he's going to get his revenge, but there's a problem. He came back as a housefly, and that's the movie. It's the story of a, a, a housefly who doesn't even talk. I should add that into this movie. I assumed when he was reincarnated as a housefly, there'd be like some kind of internal monologue or something. No, he doesn't talk because he's a fly. He can't. And he gets revenge on the evil property developer in 
a movie that is like absolutely wildly imaginative and hilarious and just action-packed and insane it's mostly a portrait of the the main antagonist the bad guy going slowly insane as he tries to safeguard his life from the fly he believes is trying to kill him while all his henchmen stare at him like he's going absolutely nuts genuinely amazing cinema cannot recommend it enough it's on netflix as i say in original language and everything you don't even have to fiddle around with it doesn't you i don't think it's even a dub but whatever you half of it's wordless uh you know it's just a fly doing crazy shit um so yeah ega on netflix watch it and thank me later love it love it love it great choice uh yeah i guess this week i'm, I'm putting over uh, uh something that I saw, I actually went to a, a fucking show. I haven't been to a show in a long time. And uh, I went and saw the found footage festival. If you don't know who that is, it's like, I don't know, like a more normie version of everything is terrible. Uh, but uh, they, they put out a documentary recently about what they do, which is basically just drive around the, the country and uh, go to like thrift stores and, and try and find like just weird videos, weird VHS tapes to, to kind of chop up into their own footage and uh yeah the, the documentary is called chop and steal because the other thing that they do is they uh they, they try to come up with weird gimmicks and then they call up uh local morning shows you know and and they will be like hey we're a strongman duo can we come on and and like do our our routine and the fun thing about these morning shows is uh you know anybody can get on there Really? Like you just, you just got to write a letter pitching whatever it is you do. And they really don't look into what you do. Uh, so these guys, like one of them is, is kind of scrawny. The other guy's kind of tubby, but neither one of them reads as strong men. And uh, so they do this dumb fake strongman routine. And then they decided to up the ante and they went on America's Got Talent, uh, wherein they did just a, like an abbreviated version of their strongman routine and then they just stood on stage and literally pissed their pants. They just pissed all over themselves. Uh, and that was on TV. So, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm putting over, uh, yeah, Chop It Steals, the documentary, Found Footage Festival. If you want something that's a little less weird than, uh, you know, uh, everything is terrible, you can check that out. Now, I, one other thing, I, I did not enjoy the opening act. And I'm doing a double put over here because... Uh, the opening act was was this person who I, I think they were going for like a, a modern Elvira, but there's this thing that I've been seeing where I feel like people are starting to discover things that like I've known about for like 20 fucking years. And they're just like, oh, wow, look at this thing that I just discovered yesterday. And I think this is called getting old. But uh, this person, she like put on a clip from uh, the wonderful, wonderful movie. Santa's sleigh and uh, was was mocking this film. And I've got to say, you want a good fucking Christmas movie? Santa's fucking sleigh, my friend, is wonderful. That very is true. Very true. Especially when you get into that era, like it doesn't. It's rare to find something with that that uh, sort of energy. And uh, yeah, it's it's a great film. Bill Goldberg, yeah. shout out, uh, excellent, excellent performance there. Shout out to Bill. Yeah, so. I would highly, highly recommend you, if you haven't watched it, watch Santa's Slay. It is a fucking delight. And also, and this is important, 
I cannot stress this enough that there's a significant difference between something like found footage festival, where there's this sort of like reverence for the, the weirdness that they're able to come across. And then something like this, where they just play like the opening of Santa's sleigh, which is incredible. And then it's just like, ha ha, look at how dumb this is. No, 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 my friend. That is fucking art. It's art. God damn it. Respect it. That being said, uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, uh, there's a link in the description and that'll take you to our Patreon page and then you can give us money. And what happens if you give us money? Wonderful question. I will send you a movie from my personal collection. Maybe I'll give you Santa's Slay. Who knows? Probably not, though, because did you know Santa's Slay was only released on DVD? There's no fucking Blu-ray of it. That's a crime. An absolute crime. Vinegar Syndrome, Severin, all of those guys. I know you're listening right now. Do the fucking Lord's work, boys. Get the rights to that. Give us a, a nice, pristine print and uh, release that shit because it's lovely. Uh, so, yeah, you get a movie from me. If you live in the continental United States, I will mail you a fucking movie uh, from my personal collection. And in higher tiers, I mean, if you're at the highest tier, you actually get to dictate a whole episode. If you're in that nice, uh, kind of squishy middle tier, well, you get to vote on upcoming content. We're probably going to have another one of those. Well, maybe we'll do another poll soon. Let the, let the patrons vote on what we're going to do next. And uh, you also get your name read out on the air. So who are our, our OV superstars, Pyros? Ah, this month we have Kofax, Kropotkin, CWW, Evan, Ryan, Dustin, and Paula. Look at that. Look at that. Our $5 and above heroes. We salute you. You are wonderful people. Uh, now, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, or marriage proposals, optimismvaccine at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us at optimismvaccine. Producer Colin, he asked a really good question. He was like, what are you guys going to do if Twitter eats shit? Where, what are you, where are you going to go? And the answer is, we, we go nowhere. Uh, we're, we're, just, we're, all, we're all going back to the IMDB message boards of 2005. It's the only solution that I can possibly think of. So, uh, well, I mean, you, you just got to vote against uh, Elon in that, uh, in that straw poll in there. You'll be good to go. Oh, yeah. I think he lost. I think he lost his poll. I'm pretty sure he lost. His he poll he today, did. So. Yeah, I don't know what's happening. I apparently he asked Jared <laughs> Kushner to be CEO. Fucking. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking sick. Just Jay Kush in the, in the head of Twitter. How Why not just give it to Trump? Just fucking go right to the man himself. Oh, that that would be that'd be the ultimate twist. I mean, I've I've always said if. Donald Trump like didn't have an ounce of actual like political power and, and we could just like kind of just let him do his thing in a vacuum. Um, that would be like my ideal world. I just want him to say weird shit all the time. Give him Twitter. Let it let him just do it. Let him go fucking wild. Just just make him commit to only doing that. I think that's that's what we need to do. Uh, anyways. Uh, I think that about wraps things up. So we'll be back next week with the uh, the stunning conclusion. Of the Silent Night, <laughs> Deadly Night franchise. And what a conclusion it will be. Uh, you're, you're not prepared for all the joy that awaits you. So uh, we'll, we'll see you next week. <laughs>